First Assembly Heber Springs, so honored to be a part of the Assemblies of God. The part, our, our heartbeat towards missions is only starting to really increase within us. I think COVID set us back a little bit of some of our endeavors, but it was time to just stop allowing COVID to dictate, you know, where we were going to be and go in 2021. And I appreciate each one of you being out here today. Um, I've said this statement right here many times since I've been a pastor, which is now 25 years of full-time pastoral ministry, and that is you are a part of something much larger than what you see right here. And I didn't just say this when I was here at Heber Springs. I said this when I was pastoring up at Shirley. To know that the Assemblies of God missions and missionaries take the gospel, that you and I are able to join with them in covenant faith and to help fulfill the Great Commission is one of the great privileges of being a part of this fellowship. And so many of you are new to our assembly. I don't know whether it was just a season in your life, some of you that watched by Facebook, or some of you that are here today was a season of life that brought you here, whether it was COVID, a ch decided a chain, maybe your church had you all masked up and you felt maybe a little more freer down here. I don't know what it was that drew you here, but we're trying to awaken or expose to you uh, some of the very deep-seated beliefs that we have held for a long, long time. Right, we want you to see this, and we want you to see what this can do in your life when you decide to join with other men and women of like precious faith and support God's heart for taking the gospel around the world. I'm telling you, you will see the fingerprint of God in your life in a way that maybe you haven't seen previously. Did y'all know that? Now, I'm not saying this from as just a, uh, you know, something that I copied and pasted off of Facebook or off of Google. This is something that I've seen personally in my own heart and life. Um, the, the, the heartbeat of missionaries, the night, I've told this before, but the night that I made a decision to join the Assemblies of God and to become an, uh, an ordained minister in the Assemblies of God, I was seated at a Light for the Lost banquet in West Little Rock where a missionary to India by the name of David Grant, who has preached here at this church and shared with us in missions banquet, who knew Mother Teresa personally, he was a missionary, shared what God was doing in India, how that they were rescuing children. Um, and he told this story about they would get calls from people of abandoned children, and they would immediately drop everything that they would do, and they would run as fast as they could run or drive as fast as they can to the location where the child had been abandoned because if they didn't get there before the dogs got there, the child could be gone. And that happened many, many times that the dogs got there first. And I saw such, such sincere commitment to Christ, sincere commitment to people. I started crying. I told you last week when I start crying, you know, I cry till I'm empty. And I started crying at the table, and I couldn't stop. I cried all the way back to, the, uh, from Jack, to Jacksonville, Little Rock Air Force Base, where I was living. And yes, Jace, my wife was pregnant too at that time. And she was laying there in the bed, and I, I sat down beside her, and I was bawling like a baby. Because I felt God connecting me to the Assemblies of God Fellowship. And my responsibility and our, the pastors here with me, it's our responsibility to share this vision with you. That this is not a vision that should just be held by pastors only. This is something for you. As men and women that are a part of this fellowship, that maybe you don't have the title of a pastor or a leader, but you're a participant. You're a participant both in giving and in support, in prayer, and then ministry opportunities. So I've got, I could make an announcement possibly about one that may be joining one of the missions teams that we support. 
but I'll wait and do that at a later date and time. So I'm going to be preaching today and next week kind of in this vein. So I really want you to join with me and covenant together. If you'll determine to open your heart, I believe God will enlighten your eye to some things. We'll see, a, especially one particular uh, controversial subject, you'll be enlightened on it. And then I think this faith promise card won't seem as foreign to you when we're uh, finished here uh, today. So let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter number 8. 2 Corinthians chapter number 8. And when you find it, I know you were just seated, but it's our tradition here to stand in the honor of reading of Scripture. We're only going to read one verse. 2 Corinthians chapter number 8. Let's read this together, if you would. It says, therefore, did you find it? If you didn't find it, it's on the screen. So, therefore, you know, back in the day before we had it on the screen, I always had to wait for the pages to stop turning, you know, and I could hear. And then some of you hadn't read your Bible in a long time. Your pages were stuck together. <laughs> therefore, as you abound in everything, in faith, look at this. Therefore, as you abound in everything. Now, remember that ye is plural, right? He's speaking to all of the church at Corinth. And he says, therefore, as you abound in everything, in faith, utterance, and knowledge, and in all diligence, and even in your love to us. Paul's right there. So see this, he's building this picture. We, anybody that's read the, the epistles of, to Corinth know that, that they were uh, desirous of spir spiritual gifts. They were really hungry for spiritual gifts. The word utterance there, that's the reflection of that, utterance gifts. Faith, the gift of faith, the activity, the motion of faith. Knowledge, they were people that pursued knowledge, revelation knowledge. And he said, in all diligence, and even they had a love for the apostles, the apostolic ministries, and or ministers. And then he said this, see that ye abound in this grace also. So he said, if you do everything else that we encourage you to do, don't lay aside this part of your Christian living and your Christian faithfulness to God, your faithfulness that's expressed in giving. Don't lay this aside and neglect it. That's Paul's encouragement. So we're going to talk today from this context, this grace also, this grace also. So let's pray. Let's ask the Lord to help all of us here today. Amen. Father, I love you. I'm so grateful to be here with the men, the women, our pastors, their wives, God, our Dr. Brassfield, Sister Kathy, others that have gathered here, people I've known for many years, or people that I'm just now getting to know, Father, and, and hope in the months ahead to know them far better than I do right now. But God, there's something I desire today, and that is that you can unite us in thought and agreement on this very subject matter. Father, let preaching come easy in this house, and let the heart of the people be prepared to receive the engrafted word. It's in Jesus' name, and all God's children said, amen. And you can be seated. Thank you so much for honoring the Lord. Thank you for coming out and being a part of our service today. I'm going to throw out a little question. Uh, that's very simple, but and it's very broad, obviously. It could go in different directions. But I wrote it this way. I said, why, why do we do what we do? And just think of that for just a moment. Well, you can apply that to a lot of different things. Why do you get in your car and come out here on Sunday morning? Why do you go out to lunch after service? Why do you uh, go to basketball games with your children through the week? Well, there's a lot of things, but I'm going to narrow it for you. Why do people who during the pandemic that cannot come to church. You know, we had about a 10-week period of time where we weren't able to come to church. And then since that, since we were able to regather in services, there have been many in our church family for 
their own uh, personal health have chosen not to come out because maybe they've got an underlying condition or maybe they're just, uh, uh, you know, just afraid that maybe something could, you know, with COVID. And I'm not here to address that, but I just want you to know that for whatever reason, but many of them that have not been coming, but yet still every month they write out a check and they mail it to the church that they haven't even been here at for several months. Now, you're talking about the foolish things of the world to confound. You know, now you think about that. That's in, in, in natural, that's like going to Walmart, mailing a check to Walmart without them bringing you any food, right? In, in one sense. So, what, what moves somebody to a degree that people budget for, they allocate, and then they give even when they are unable to attend? Have you thought about that? It has to be that they're moved by something. There's something compels them. Something compels many that are listening to me right now that are at home. Some of our senior saints that are home today. They're moved by something. They're moved by principles of faith. They're moved by something that is deeply seated in their core values that they believe in wholeheartedly. Now, obviously, this is not coercive or impulsive uh, response. It's not a random act. I mean, if you're doing it monthly, maybe one time, you know, we could say, well, that was a random act to an emotional plea made by someone. But I'm talking about people that do this month after month after month. And it's fa they're faithful, they're consistent, they're very intentional, and they're motivated. They're motivated by their life of faith. And so, as we get into this, I want to share with you a little bit today what motivates us. Why do we do what we do? Why do we hold these core values? Not everybody holds these core values. Some do. Many do within our fellowship, and hopefully more in the days ahead. Typically, within our community of faith, believers practice three types of monetary giving. We practice the tithes, the offering, and seed faith. I'm going to talk about seed faith next week. Many of us are familiar with the word tithe. We know what it means just in and uh, definition that it means a tenth without knowing its historical backdrop. As always, there are those that are critical of the term tithing, and they often attempt to justify their position by alluding to the fact that tithing doesn't seem to be taught openly in the New Testament. Now, I agree and disagree to a certain point, but we do find teaching that infers tithing and teaches the tithing principles. But I wrote it also this way because I wanted to be a little bit more frank, if somebody wants to tithe to satisfy a personal biblical conviction, well, what's that to you? Think about that. Remember what Jesus, you know, in the, in the book of uh, Acts, not Jesus, but the apostle Peter, when, when he said, if, if it's your money, you can do with it what you want to do with it, right? So really, there ought not be any criticism unless the church has manipulated people into tithing, which obviously has happened historically, and it's burned a lot of people over the years. The word tithe simply means a tenth, as I stated previously. I have personally taught the origin of the tithe many times over the last 25 years. It was something that I had studied out very diligently prior to becoming a pastor for mine and Sherry's own personal financial responsibility and accountability before God. And then when I became a pastor, I certainly wanted to encourage my church family. And I want you to know today, I believe that the principles of the tithe and the offering that I'm going to share with you today, that if God were to pick me up today like Philip of old and trans. Uh, transport me anywhere around the world and Sherry and I suddenly found ourselves in living in the most poorest of economic cultures anywhere in the world I would honestly say to you I would still teach and preach these principles 
I remember, Dr. Brassler, the message that you preached about the folks that live uh, in, the, in the dumps uh, in, there in Manila of the Philippines, those, and, and that, that sound of music that went out around the world, and just colonies of people that took their livelihood, you know, out of the, uh, out of the, uh, the piles and the heaps of, of, the, of the refuse that is from that major metropolitan city. And if I was suddenly there today and was living there as a pastor, I would encourage them, let's believe God. Let's honor God. Let's go to the, because God's word doesn't change. Principles of faith and love and action to conviction belong to all of God's people, irregardless of our economic situation. I think that's why Paul said, you're doing all of this other faith, utterance, diligence, all these things, but don't leave out this as well, in this grace also. And so today... Just real quickly to just kind of make it, because I'm not really going to preach about the tithe today, but I want you to understand what we do and how we do things. It's a very transparent sermon up here today, but I'm going to get mostly into the, the offering, the special offering. But I want you to know how so many in the church function with their own personal uh, financial giving and then how we respond to that as pastors. The tithe first appeared in the life of Abraham. I've taught that many times. The story's told of Melchizedek, the king and the priest of Salem that would later be Jerusalem. He comes down with bread and wine, and he's met by Abraham, and Abraham gives him a tenth of all the spoils of war. And so that's the beginning of the tithe. I'm not going to develop it in great detail today. It moves from there to the law of Moses where there are strict regulations for the children of Israel. And it is also referenced multiple times in the New Testament. Many times in ancient Israel, Israel's faithfulness to God was proven by the tithe. That in their times of disobedience and apostasy, they neglected their support for the house of God. Many times, prophetic reproof that you read about in the Old Covenant where the children of Israel, ancient Israel, had fallen into apostasy, a measure of reproof in the prophetic voice was reproving the people for failing to bring in their tithes and offerings to sustain the temple and to sustain the teaching of the Torah. The tithe was of the increase. It wasn't necessarily money. The instruction to tithe preceded currency in the land. It was the increase of the field, the tree, and the livestock. We're going to put three verses in the Scripture in Leviticus. That's that book that many of you like to avoid, but it's filled with life if you'll understand the right context of application. So we're looking at the true historical application to ancient Israel. It says, all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. Catch that last phrase. We'll read and talk about it in a moment. It is holy unto the Lord. Verse 31. And if a man will at all redeem out of his tithes, he shall add thereto the fifth part thereof. Stop. Let me tell you what that means real quickly. Because it was agricultural many times in the giving of the tithe, or it was also livestock, if you chose to keep that animal and not bring it in sacrifice, then its value, then God said, I want you to add an additional 20% to it. If you're going to exchange it for money and actually give that in place of that agricultural uh, pr uh, produce or that, uh, that animal, you're going to add the value of it in the 20%. And so, verse number 32, it said, And concerning the tithe of the herd or the flock, even whatsoever passes un under the rod, which is how they counted the sheep, he said, The tenth shall be holy unto the Lord. So this is ancient Israel's God's instruction. But the point that I wanted you to see very quickly, because this is what motivates a lot of people. This is where many in the body of Christ find their stimulus for tithing is that they believe that the tithe is holy unto the Lord. They believe it belongs to God. 
They believe that it's something that we do without, uh, in essence, our discretion. Yes, it's our discretion to give free will offerings. But in their minds of many that we have said, you know what, this belongs to God. And so uh, uh, without going into the redemption of it, I just wanted you to see. That's why so many begin right there. They consider the tithe the Lord's. It's not optional. Free will offerings are optional. The tithe belongs to God. The tithe was very specific in ancient Israel. It was intended to be brought to either a Levitical city or the temple. Remember, because it was agricultural nature, it might be the, the produce of the field. It might be the produce of the vine or of the tree. It might be baskets of apples or baskets of grapes or it might be baskets of olives. It might be 12 sheep. Whatever the increase was that God brought to you, then that's what you brought the tenth of unto the Lord. And you either presented it in a Levitical city every three years or you presented it in the temple if you live close enough. You could always offer a free will offering at any time at your discretion, but the tithe belongs to the Lord. And so for many, under the sound of my voice, for us not to tithe, we feel like we're sinning against God. I'm just honest. That's how I wanted to share with you. Many of you, I don't know that deeply. And I hope I get to know you. I keep saying that because I just hate the mask. You know, and we just, this barrier and the separation, and I don't know people's story, and I'm kind of bothered by that, and we've got to press through and find out how to connect at greater depth, but I want you to know today, this is the conviction that drives many of us today, when we saw this passage in Scripture, these passages are similar passages, we just determine that the tithe belonged to God. We give it to Him before we give it to Uncle Sam, or old Joe, let me go, don't get me on started on that one. And uh, we, we, so we give it to God. And so we just want to honor the Lord. For many of us, tithing is not an end of our giving. It's the beginning of our giving. We're comfortable with teaching this principle. We don't back away from it. It's a principle of the tithe. And we use the tithe in a similar fashion as ancient Israel. What do you mean by that? And this is where I'm going to make it personal to you for a few moments. Because I want to get to this here in just a few minutes. The tithe in ancient Israel was first used for ministry support. It wasn't bound exclusively to ministry support. It also included benevolent support for the poor, the stranger, and the widow. But it was first used for ministry support. It belonged to the Levite. It was their meat. It was their sustenance. And the Levites would then tithe to the priesthood. And that was their sustenance. And so it was, again, the means that they were able to take care of their families, the priesthood families. Now, again, we still follow this practice today. For the most part, we attempt to govern this assembly and pay the salaries, take care of the building, put seats inside this building, put carpet to walk on, take care of whatever uh, things that it takes for ministry from the tithe, and we reserve special offerings for what they were designated for, like the missions offering that I'll talk to you about in just a moment. The reality is, this is my conviction, and you could take me away from being a pastor, and I could go to sitting in the pew today, and my conviction would not change. Pastors need ministry support. That should be the first obligation of our giving. I'm just going to share that with you. Now, I'm going to say a couple of statements in a moment that's going to kind of agitate you a little bit, but that's all right. And so today, let me tell you, there are some folks that struggle with the notion that money donated or given to what they believe is a charitable organization is used to pay pastoral staff. Some people, even probably some that are under the sound of my voice, especially if you're new, you're kind of bothered by that. Well, I'm going to help 
show you why we gain these convictions, we're going to go now to 1 Corinthians 9, verses 7 through 14. Because before we can look at the offering, we've got to start with the tithe. And so with this, with for ministry support. I'm not going to call it the tithe in this context. I'm going to call it the ministry support. So Paul is writing here about his apostolic ministry. He's writing about leaders in the local Corinthian church. And he says here, who goes to warfare any time at his own charges? Who plants a vineyard and eateth not of the fruit thereof? Or who feeds a flock and does not eat of the milk of the flock? So what he's saying, if you plant a vineyard, then you harvest. If you eat, you eat of the fruit. If you feed flock or animals, you take of the milk, whatever the case. Let's roll. Verse number 8. Say all the, say these things as a man. But then he says, remember what the law says, the Torah. We read from the Torah just a moment ago. So Paul is very comfortable in using the Torah to teach principles of giving. And that's why I am too. I mean, if Paul thought it was all right, why shouldn't it be okay for me? So let's go a little farther. Verse 9, it is written in the law of Moses, Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Doth God take care for oxen? Yes, he does. Verse 10, let's go a little farther. He says, saith it altogether for whose sake? It's for your sake and for my sake. For our sakes, no doubt, that this is written, that he that plows should plow in hope, and he that threshes in hope should be partakers of this hope. Verse 11, it's just four verses. Next, if we have sown. Now, he's writing this from a minister that's got spiritual giftings and callings that it's discernible. He's called, he or she is called, they're set apart, they have a distinct anointing on their life, and they're in an office of some kind. They're ministering as a pastor, a teacher, a prophet, some type of fivefold ministry. He says, if we have sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing if we reap your carnal things? Wow, real quiet in here. I'm kind of... Uh, I don't know if I'm embarrassed or maybe you're just learning. Let's go. Verse 12. If others are partakers of this power, now Paul makes it personal about others that may be receiving it. Paul, Paul chose not to use this power because he was a foundational apostle. And he didn't want to bring, uh, you know, any discredit to the church because the principles that you and I have learned to hold deeply to, these were new in the first century. He said, but we suffer all things lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ. Verse number 13, let's read. He said, do you not know that they which minister about holy things, he's talking about the temple again, live of the things of the temple, and they which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar hall right there. Just very quickly, let me just connect to this for just a moment. It is expected that those who sow spiritual things should reap carnal things. So obviously the reality is, is this is why some of you struggle with this. The principle has been manipulated in extreme situations, especially by high-profile ministers. Every one of us have watched scandals come across the, the television screen, and we've kind of shrunk our head or dropped our head in disbelief. And in so doing, the reality is it has hurt the integrity of all who receive fair compensation for their ministry services. Did y'all know that? When you see something that's exploited in the tabloids or exploited by the news, and, and you see preachers that have taken advantage of the faithful giving of men and women, and they themselves have put themselves out in a lifestyle that seems to be inconsistent with uh, what we would hold to as, as fair uh, you know, compensation for their services, it has burned a lot of people. But the reality is it is unfortunate because that's just a small reflection of the men and women that make sacrifices every day to serve in the ministry. Men and women that leave callings and careers in the secular world and go like places in the mission field or like me and Sherry when we got in our van with, set, with, with, with five children, seven of us, a 1995 Astro van, and we left my career in the military behind to go up to Shirley to 19 people to live for $400 a week with our family where we ourselves uh, were on WIC and we, uh, our kids were on our kids and we easily qualified for food stamps but we chose not to take them. 
But they don't put us on CNN, do they? Now, they don't put the sacrifice of people like me or many others who have given far more greater sacrifice than what I mentioned to you here today. And so just for you to see that just because some abuse it, unfortunately, we should not take away from the sincerity of the majority. And so I believe it with all my heart today, God's ministers need fair and adequate compensation, benefits, and retirement. And that last word looks more and more important as I age. We have families to provide for, home mortgages, college expenses, and one day we do hope to retire from full-time pastoral service. And thank God, thank God there are people who say, I want to see my pastor blessed. Thank God there are people that say, I want to see my pastor walking in the favor of God. My word to you is recognize the need to sustain ministry and bless ministry from your resources, and you will see God's faithfulness in your life. So let me tell you, if you're struggling today real quickly about saying, you know what, they use the resources that's given to this nonprofit organization to take care of the pastors, here's my word for you today. Ready? I'll try to be as, as you know, just as delicate as I can. You ready? Get over it. That's it. That's it. Go ahead. Right here. Verse number 14. Even so, why do I say that with such passion? Because God said it. God said, I've ordained it that those that preach the gospel should live of the gospel. So it gives me great conviction here today. So I didn't come today to shame anyone. I came to encourage you. Get along beside us. Connect with men and women and understand that, that yes, as you give, we do provide for pastors. And we provide for salaries for pastors and for their families. And we do so with the clearest of conviction. And I want you to know today that if you take joy in knowing that your act of faith is sustaining the man of God, that your obedience is meat in the Lord's house, it's the widow's bread given to the prophet, it's the alabaster box that was broken and poured out, it is a sweet-smelling sacrifice that's well-pleasing and acceptable to God. Let me tell you, God promises then to meet your need according to His riches and glory through Christ Jesus. You know, I've had the benefit of walking in the blessing of God with pastor, my pastor, Pastor Burton, who was over me. And then when I became a pastor, and of men and women that are around me that never tried to take away from my life, always encouraged, always built me up. But there's always been a namesayer somewhere along the line. There's always been somebody. You know, there's always, how many know you can't let just a few critical folk stop you from being who God's called you to be? Because there's always somebody. And, and I thought about that when people sometimes... When they think, you know, well, they want to see, they, they, they want their, their, their pastors, their income, or their livelihood to be elevated, to be equivalent to where you're at in life. That should not be the case. Everybody's situation is different. Maybe pastors, some pastors have, have exploited and taken advantage. Some people have made poor decisions. Even pastors made poor decisions. Others made good decisions, and God has rewarded them. There's one thing I want you to know. I think you ought to pray for us the way we pray for you. See, we don't pray this way about you. We don't pray, God, I hope they don't get blessed. I hope they don't make more money than me. I hope they don't get to go on vacation with their family. I hope they don't have a retirement because I don't have one. You know, this is how we pray for you. Father, I pray you bless them coming in. And I pray you bless them going out. I pray, Father, that you bless them in the storehouse, the field, and the basket. I pray that you would make them the head and not the tail. I pray, God, you'll promote them on the job. And for some that can handle it, let them own the business. Go from working at the business to owning the business. Come on, somebody. I pray then, Father, you bless the businesses where the men and women that are part of First Assembly are working at, that reward can come through that business to that man and woman because of their faithfulness before God. 
I pray, God, the very favor, the divine favor of God. God, you said in your word that you own the cattle on a thousand hill, and all the gold and the silver is yours. You are not limited in any capacity, God, your resources. That's how we pray for you. That's how you ought to be praying for us. I'll tell you, I, I love this one. This is why I'm a King James man right here, Ezekiel 44 and 30. I'll get off this in a moment, but I can't take you into the special offerings without the tithe. The first of all, the first fruits of all things and every oblation of all. Suppose you say, I don't understand a word he's saying. Of every sort of your oblation shall be the priest. I know you didn't understand that, but maybe you catch this last part. You shall also give unto the priest the first of your dough. <laughs> Come on now. That's why I'm not a new King James man right there. I'm a King James man. Bring the first of your dough what? right here, right here. Look at this. Don't separate it. That he may cause the blessing to rest in thine house. I believe in a prophetic pastoral blessing that's connected to men and women's faithfulness and giving to God. And so today, though, my message is more about special offerings. That's what I want to talk to you about. But I wanted to separate this. Let me Please give me just a moment to build this because this is important what we're doing here today. And I'll tell you what, it's important because giving has the ability to affect your life personally. It has the ability to heal relationships in your marriage and in your family. It has the ability for you that may be struggling in certain areas suddenly to find yourself with a favor that you didn't know was possible because God brought it to you because you moved into a season of sacrificial giving. So for ancient Israel, let me clarify for a moment. They gave of the tithe, but listen to this, they gave also free will offerings. And so when Paul is teaching support for ministry, he, he taught that in 1 Corinthians 9. But in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, that's when he taught about special offerings for a particular offering that he himself was directly a part of. Let me clarify for you for a moment. It, the text that we read in 1, or 2 Corinthians 8 and 7, I just took one verse. All of chapter 8 and all of chapter 9, it's like, I don't know, 40-something verses. Paul is giving, um, right at 40 verses, Paul is giving very strict instruction concerning a special offering that he was encouraging the church at Corinth to participate in. In essence, Paul was giving a faith promise. He was encouraging the people to come alongside him. It wasn't something that he wasn't going to do. He was participating in, in it as well. And so Paul, real quickly, let me clarify, the giving that Paul teaches in these assemblies, in those chapters, is not with the local, it wasn't for the local ministry support. It wasn't for the local assembly. It was not giving to the local assembly. It was giving through the local assembly. How many know that's important? Did you hear that? One thing to give to the local assembly, it's another thing to give through the local assembly. And it should be both within our fellowship. So Paul uses this term to describe this. 2 Corinthians 8 and 4, he says it's ministering to the saints. 2 Corinthians 9 and 1, he calls this offering ministering to the saints. What does that mean? 1 Corinthians 16 and 1, he says this, the collection for the saints. And then in verse 3, he says that I intend to bring your liberality unto Jerusalem. But here's the text that gives us the clarity real quickly so you can see. It's Romans 15 and 26. Paul is writing, we believe the, 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 the uh, theologians believe that Paul at least participated in two special offerings for who? He, he, so he says, it has pleased them of Macedonia and of Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. So Paul's going to the Gentile world 
but he still cares about the Jewish people in Jerusalem. Now, at that, I don't know why he was so motivated. There's a number of, of different uh, thoughts that we could contemplate of why he's so concerned about helping the poor in Jerusalem. Because there's poor everywhere. Remember what Jesus said, the poor you have with you always. But Paul has something, a driving force in his life that says, I feel like in my Gentile journeys, my journey through the Gentile communities and these churches that we have seen established, we're going to gather up resources from a, a, a plurality of these churches, and we're going to take these resources back to Jerusalem and to minister to the people. So the practice of many is to support our local assembly right here and our pastors with our tithe, but then we give free will offerings through the pastor and the local assembly to benevolence and, and missions. And so the reality is, just real quickly, JoJo mentioned a few moments ago, so I can just be as transparent as I can for you today, and that is we gave last year around $45,000 plus to missions. But what we had was we had 26000 designated to missions in your offerings. So what that means is we took 19000 from undesignated, meaning like your general tithe that you just gave to the church, and we made up the difference. So the faith promise card is attended, intended to help us to be able to take our special offerings and to not have to use it out of the general fund quite as much to give us a greater ability to be able to budget for it, to know what we can do, how far we can go. So that certainly is our goal. I have a goal through faith promise cards of $4,000. Of commitment from within this church family, four thousand dollars a month, because we 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 are designated for thirty-two hundred dollars, meaning that every month we are already committed to missions and missionaries around the world for thirty-two hundred dollars, and so that would only, that gives us room to say we can pick up some more along the way. Correct? That allows us to grow, and hopefully, as Joe said, we'll go farther, much farther than we have been. So with this in mind, I'm going to make this real personal for you in just a moment. So before we go into 2 Corinthians 9, we're going to walk this down in closing in a flurry. But before we do, before we go to 2 Corinthians 9, let me just remind you, Paul is building his argument, which is not an argument. He's building the base of his encouragement for the people in chapter 8. When he wrote that in verse number 7, he reminded them, he said, man, you're so zealous for the things of God, but don't lay this side and don't fail to take care of this part of your Christian experience as well. Did y'all hear that? It's awful quiet in here. Said, Pastor, it's not, is it not enough to volunteer my time? Well, obviously the pastor, uh, the apostle didn't think so. Hello? Apostle encourages you. Why? Because we know what giving can do in your life. And we also know what God can do through you. And then he said this. Time won't allow me to read these texts because I'm going to reserve our, our text reading to 2 Corinthians 9. But listen, he said there should be an equality. Did you know the word equality is right here in the Bible? But in this sense, equality, Paul said, I want everybody to participate. Hmm, got real quiet in here. He said, it begins with a willing mind. How many of you know it starts somewhere? Everybody has to have the moment where you, and I'll tell you what, your carnal mind will fight against you. You'll make every excuse in the world. You'll total up your resources, and you'll just make every, every excuse. Sometimes the enemy will use it to bring uh, conflict between husbands and wife contention. Over this very issue, one wants to give, the other does not. Right, then they have to work this out. But how many know it starts? you got to start somewhere. And then the apostle went on to say in 2 Corinthians 8, he said it's not for what you don't have, it's what you do have. How many of you know that more, we have more than what we think? Right, when we actually start exposing ourselves to God and saying, God, give me seed to sow. How many of you know if your heart is set to have seed to sow, God will give you seed to sow. I do believe that. And then we've got to be accountable. 
We got to be, once we, we follow through, we got to be accountable. We value where we're giving. We know where our giving is going. By, by joining in with the Assemblies of God and, and other ministries like this, we have an opportunity to be accountable. And then it proves the sincerity of your love. How I many know just saying I love you is not enough? You got to show your love through action. So let's go to 2 Corinthians 9, and we're going to go out with this. This is going to be our flurry. We're going to read this, and we're going to see where do we gain the motivation to not only to give a tithe, as many of us do. I'm not saying all. I'm just simply saying many of us do, but we also give free will offerings. And in this case, we're giving free will offerings in this sense to missions. Paul writes here, and he says, as touching the ministering to the saints. Remember what ministering to the saints is. It's our special it's our faith promise card, right? Correct? Are y'all out there? Stay with me out there. Why does it get so quiet when you preach on giving? If I preach on receiving, it'd be really exciting in here, huh? I mean, you know that it doesn't begin that way, right? Because Jesus said, give, and it shall be. As touching the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous for me to write to you. So Paul just said, man, I've been talking to you about this for over a year, and I know you're ready. I don't even have to go into it. He said, I know how you're prepared in your mind, for I boast of them of Macedonia that Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal hath provoked very many. Let me just tell you today, I came here today not to condemn anybody, not to belittle anybody, and the last thing on my mind is intend to shame you. My hope is to inspire you. I found out, see, that was a tool that the church used a long time ago when we tried to belittle people for their failure to give. See, I chose to not go in that vein, and I choose to come to the place where I want to inspire you rather than manipulate you or belittle you. Are y'all out there today? I hope to inspire you. I hope, I hope to provoke you. I've seen the favor of God. I hope that my zeal, JoJo's zeal, Jason's zeal, Shane's zeal, all of us pastors, Aaron and Chelsea, all of us pastors as a family, that you will see our zeal for giving in this, and it will stir you to give. It will encourage you. Verse number three, let's read this. He said, I have sent the brethren, verses three, four, and five, we're going to read kind of quickly, because this, he said, I, this is that accountability. We've sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you be in vain in this behalf, that as I said, you may be ready. Verse number four, lest happily if they of Macedonia come with me and find you unprepared, he said, then we would be ashamed in this same confident boasting. So Paul said, I've been bragging about you. How many of you ever remember that when the teacher used to do that? The teacher said, I was bragging about you, and then you let me down. Paul's saying, I don't want you to let me down. He said, I've been telling everybody that you are zealous of this. So he said, I'm giving, you, I'm giving you ample opportunity to make a decision. Therefore, I not thought it necessary to exhort the brethren, go before you, make up beforehand your bounty, that we, you take notice thereof, that the same might be ready as a matter of bounty, and listen, and not as of covetous. Paul's right there, not as covetous. The apostle, obviously, by this text, does not want to see uh, giving to be extortion or coerced. He wants it to be an act of faith and love. How many of God blesses when you move in faith and love is your motivating factor, right? That's why, that's why we're here today. That's why we're participating in this together. But verse number six, this is where it starts to shift, and this is where we're going to really connect to this. And it says this, but this I say, Paul says, I'm not trying to coerce you or manipulate you, but God forbid that I don't tell you the truth. He that soweth sparingly shall also reap sparingly. The word sparingly there means stingily. When it's in your hand to do good and you fail to do it, how many know that's sin? When it's in your power to do good and you fail to do it, he said, but if you sow bountifully, what are you going to do? You're going to reap bountifully. How many know if God gets ready to bless you, he can bless you unlike any other? 
Right? I believe that with all my heart. And what I'm hoping to expose to you today, though this is not the first purpose of a motivational factor in your giving, the first motivational factor in your giving is to honor God. Second is to bless people. But Paul does remind them about God's reciprocation. Hello? Right? How many of you know that with God there is reciprocation in your life? Give and it shall be Give it unto you, press down. Paul said right here, if you sow bountifully, you're going to reap bountifully. Verse number 7. He said, every man as a purpose in his heart, so let him give. Right there, one of the famous passages of Scripture, verses of the Scripture on giving, starts right here with purposing in your heart. You, if you're married, your wife, your family, you have to make a decision in your heart. You've got to sit down together with pen and paper. You've got to look at your finances. You've got to be a faithful steward. You got to, how many of you know you've got to track your resources? You've got to sit down and you've got to know what's coming in and what's going out. Right, listen, I, I practice a budget. Sherry and I practice. We budget at the church. We budget at home. I still have my book. It's called Pastor Brown's Total Money Makeover. I have it, and I pull it out about once a quarter, and I align it. I look at what's coming in. I look at what's going out. We make adjustments because if you're not careful, debt can creep in on you real quickly. You can live beyond your means very carefully. And so you got a purpose in your heart. you got to determine, set them out, sit down together, work these things out, come together if you're a couple, and pray over these things together, right? Because God, don't do it grudgingly. Oh, I hate going to church at First Assembly. Did you know one time there was somebody that left our church not that, uh, some time back, and they said they did so because all we ever did was talk about money. I mean, I'm telling you, that is a lie because we are a church. We don't even have an offering container in here right now. We're a church. We believe in it. We respect it. We value it. It's a part of who we are. But we're not a church that's going to badger you every time you come in this building. Because you got a purpose in your own heart. I can't do it for you. Right? i got to leave that to you. It's between you and God. And so that person was in error for making that judgment. It was a presumptuous judgment that was actually inaccurate. But I want you to know this today. God said don't give grudgingly. Don't give out of necessity because Pastor Brown manipulated you into giving. The way you had to drag your kids to church and days gone by at times, you know, that's not how I want you to begin to give. God loves a cheerful giver. And I know that with us having a theologian here, Dr. Brassfield, he knows that that word cheerful is hilarious. I can't say it, but it's hilarious in the, in the English. It's coming from a Greek word, hilarious, which means exactly what it says, Mary. It's hilarious. There should be joy in your heart. Knowing that you are connecting to men and women around the world, helping them in benevolence and missions to hear the gospel for the very first time, it ought to cause you to dance in the house of God and say, God, you chose me to bless somebody all the way around the world, to hear the gospel, to provide food, to build a building. We'll talk about that in closing. Verse number eight, let's read this. God is able. This is the promise. God is able to make all grace abound towards you. I said all grace. God said, I'll make it abound towards you, and you will have sufficiency in all things. And you will abound to every good work. I'm telling you, that is a promise right there, that when you get that written on the tablet of your heart, you will have a confidence in every area of your life. When you're walking in faithfulness before God, and you're honoring the Lord with the first fruits of all your increase, and you've purpose in your heart and you give tithe you give an offering there will be a confidence in your heart that no matter the economic crisis around you god is faithful 
You will sleep at night and you won't fret. You won't, I'm not saying you won't have to make decisions that might change because we have to change as, as, as culture changes, economic situations. Absolutely, I'm not trying to say that that won't be a case for you. But I am saying that God can take anxiety away from your heart. God can give you peace at night. That's all grace abounding right there. God's blessings don't just come back into your hands through monetary means. God's blessing comes when you just have favor. You have confidence. Your head's not bowed over. You're not beating yourself up. You're just walking before God in faith and love. You know God is for you and he's not against you. Right? You know he's watching over you. It lifts your spirit. It empowers you in your prayer. I believe all grace abounds towards you. If you're a parent here today, out of this passage right here, you gain the courage to pray over your family. You gain the courage to pray over your children. You gain the courage to be able to speak life over them because you know God's going to cause you to abound in every good work. He's going to make all grace abound to you. Verse number 9, he said, as it is written, he's quoting from Psalm 120, uh, 112, he has dispersed abroad, that's you. You have given to the poor and your righteousness remains forever. There is six more verses. Let's read it in closing. He said, now I love this one. This is my favorite verse of scripture as it relates to giving. He that ministers seed to the sower ministers bread for your food and he multiplies your seed sown and he increases the fruits of your righteousness if there is one verse of scripture that you write in your heart today i want you to see that god will give seed to the sower he'll give bread to the eater and he'll multiply your seed sown i want you to know the resource that's in your bank account the resource that's in your wallet or your purse the resource that's on your iphone where you take it and it's connected to your bank account i want you to know that seed in your hand it's seed Sometimes it's sacrificial to give. Sometimes it costs and it hurts to give. But I want you to know if you sow faithfully and your heart's right before God, then God said, I'll bring bread to the eater. And then he said, then I'm going to multiply your seed sown. And look what's going to happen to your life. You're going to be enriched in everything to all bountifulness. And it's going to cost through us thanksgiving to God. Now, I'm getting ready to close. There's only four verses or three verses left. There's 12, 13, 14, 15, four verses real quickly. Read it with me very carefully because I want you to see the other end of your giving. This is what's often overlooked. So I want, you to, I want everybody to catch this very carefully. This is critical. This is extremely critical to your giving. Let's read this, verse 13. We, there it is, right there. Whilst by the experiment of this ministration, listen to this, they glorify God for your professed subjection unto the gospel of Christ and for your liberal distribution to them. You say, Pastor, what in the world is that saying? Listen real quickly. When you give faith promise and we collect it together and we send it to that mission and that missionary, it's benevolent and it's missions combined. Somebody, it's seed to you, it's bread to somebody else. Somebody on the other end of this is receiving something that they know came through your hand and as a result, it was coming through God, through your hand to them. And when that happens, let me tell you what happens. Here it says in verse number 13, they're going to glorify God on your behalf. Did you know many years ago, we built an entire church uh, in India? Did y'all know that? So, I mean, when I say that, we paid for the entire construction of a church right here, First Assembly. So let me ask you today, are there people that are walking through the doors of that church that are reminded that a church somewhere in America provided the complete edifice where they worship at, where they hear the gospel, 
where they're baptized in water, where their children are taught about the Lord Jesus Christ in covenant fellowship and faith? Do you think it causes them to celebrate because of the goodness of God that's been shown to them through your liberal distribution? Look at this. They glorify God for your professed subjection unto the gospel. Verse 14, real quickly. Catch this one, though. This, oh, this one is so powerful. And by their prayer for you, which long after you for the exceeding grace of God. Did you know it is my personal belief that the folks in that, that are worshiping at that church in India are praying for the folks at Heber Springs First Assembly? Did you know along the way, this is just a few of the things that we have done over the years. We paid not only to build a church in India, but we purchased tents for evangelism in South Africa so that the gospel could be preached into the bush country. We finished a pastor's home. I believe Shane has been there in Honduras where the pastor and his wife sleep safely in a parsonage that belongs to that church that you paid for. Right here at Heber Springs First Assembly. You finished a pastor's home in Africa. You gave a pastor and his wife an indoor facility to raise their children in as they led a great ministry there. You sponsored children in orphanages all around the world, but especially in India and in Africa. You have rescued women from the slave trade. Your giving has made women that has sent missionaries to the red-like districts of India where they've exposed to the women caught in prostitution that there's a way out. That there's a way out and you can be delivered from this lifestyle and you can be healed by the power and by the grace of God. Matter of fact, it wasn't that long ago. Actually, that ministry was began by David Grant, the missionary that I mentioned to you earlier. And I can remember reading the testimony of some of the women that had came out of a lifetime of, of sexual trafficking because many of these young ladies are sexually trafficked as young girls, 11, 12, 13 years of age, and they spend the next 15, 20 years of their life caught in sexual trafficking. And so when they're finally brought out of that lifestyle because of a ministry, because somebody in America, somebody here gave, wrote a check, supported the ministry, and they're delivered, they're scarred from that lifestyle, hurt and wounded. But then when they're exposed to the love of God, they're exposed to the truth of Scripture, and they find out that they're new creatures in Christ Jesus, and the power of God's eternal love and His grace, and that there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Come on, somebody. I remember reading reports that some of them said they had a Manasseh. What does that mean? What does Manasseh mean? When Jacob, or excuse me, when Joseph named his children, he was remembering the pain that he had gone through of being sold into slavery and being tortured by his own family and going through the prisons of Egypt before God brought him out. And you know what he said? He named his first child Manasseh, which means God has made me forget. And there was a testimony that came out of India that many of the ladies that came out of slave traffic, that God wiped away their memory and they had no recognition of all the pain they had been through because God gave them a Manasseh. That's the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you're tied to it. You're a part of it. Seated right here, you're a part of bringing the grace of God. And guess what? And their prayer for you is. Man, I'll tell you what. That pastor, the pastor that I'm talking about in Africa, Jojo, you know who that is? That's our, that's our brother with, uh, what's, what's the name of the ministry, Sherry, that we support? Reach, with Reach. We've had him right here at this church. I'm talking Pastor Fred. 
Pastor Fred has that deep Ugandan, I don't know why I didn't get a voice like that. It would be awesome if I was up here preaching like that right there. Welcome to First Assembly of God. But he has that deep African voice. And his, he had provided for a, an orphanage. He had provided for all these hundreds of children. But he and him, his wife was living in just, a, uh, uh, just almost like a, a slum-like home. And they started building a parsonage. They didn't have enough money. And you know what? We came together as a church, and we finished that parsonage for them. Now listen, why? I'm telling you today, there are times, and Pastor Fred, I guarantee there are times that he's walking through his house, and he's looking at the beauty of what God has done that he's reminded of Hebrew First Assembly. And in that deep African voice, he's praying, Father God of heaven, look down on the north central part of Arkansas, the Ozarks with that very handsome pastor and those bald-headed other associate pastors are on staff. Yes, Lord, bless them with your favor and your grace. Let the power of the Holy Spirit be upon them. Let the unction of God and the anointing of God be upon them. Let them be a church set apart. Let the grace of Almighty God give them seed to sow, my Father. Give them bread to eat, my Father, and multiply their seed sown. Glory to God. I believe that with all my heart. Yeah, and then he's got a squeaky voice pastor like me in Arkansas, and I'm crying out to God too. Because God is faithful, we're praying for one another. And God's praying for you. Or excuse me, God is using their prayers. He's hearing the prayers of those that are praying for you. Church family, it matters. I'll say it again. You're a part of something far bigger than you are. Would y'all stand up with me today? 14th to 15th verse. Here Paul reflects. And he says, thanks be unto God. Paul was thinking on this. He's thinking about giving. He was being moved to give. Paul was sacrificial. Paul chose not to. Many, Paul did take of income from the churches, but there were times that he worked because he didn't want to bring any reproach. It was a new church, a new church work, whatever the case might be. But there were times that he did take ministry support. And he was reflecting. He's writing about this, 2 Corinthians. He's saying... You, you, you do so well in all your spiritual gifts, your utterance, your faith. But don't leave this one out either. Do you hear that? Don't leave this one out. Some of you really need to hear this because you're faithful. You come to church regularly. You support our church in, 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 in a lot of ways. But you've never stepped into this other arena of faith about giving unto God. And I want to encourage you today. Paul was thinking about giving. You can see this. And it's like he paused for a minute. I could just see him, the aged apostle there, writing. And he probably wrote by the aid of a, uh, you know, some, he, he actually just spoke it and somebody, you know, wrote it down. But either way, I could just see him kind of dropping his head. He's thinking, pondering. He's thinking about giving. He's thinking about the faithfulness of the people at Macedonia or Galatia and now the Corinthian church. He's encouraging them, but then he thought for a moment, the greatest example of giving that's ever been seen, that the world will ever know, thanks be unto God. It was John, the beloved, that said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And Paul said, thanks be unto God for his. God's not asking us to do something he hasn't already done. Isn't that right? He's challenging us. 
And I want you to know today, it's a thousand miles away from my intent to shame anybody into giving. Isn't that right, Joe? It's a thousand miles. Giving is growth. It's a growth track. You have to learn to give. You have to purpose to give. You have to pray. All of, I don't measure your giving compared to someone else's giving. I've told you many years ago, one of the most humbling of gifts that I ever received was in a pastoral pastor appreciation offering, and it came from a woman that gave $5. The reason why I was humbled to receive it is because I knew her story. I knew her, the abuse that she had gone through. I had taken the church van down a dark, dark road in Shirley on the back of the far country of the hill country where she lived in a small, I try to always be very respectful and say manufactured home, but in this situation, we could honestly say trailer. We, we helped her when her pipes burst in winter, and they burst all throughout. We did everything. I would drive back there to pick her up in the church van. I knew the poverty in which she lived. And yet she wrote out, or she gave me a $5. Now, you know, in my flesh, I wanted to say no, no, no. But in doing so, I would be robbing her of honoring a principle that she believed in, which was to give. So today, I can honestly say I'm not trying in any way to manipulate giving. I'm trying to encourage you today. Challenge your heart. Take that faith promise home. Joe said it. If you fill it out already, that's fine if you choose to. But if not, take it home as a couple, a family. Pray over it. When you bring it back, detach it like this. You keep the small part. We need the one with the name and address so we know who it is that pledged. And we'll keep that. And that's going to help us do more in 2021 than maybe we've done in 20 years at Hebrew First Assembly. Won't that be exciting? I want to ask you to have your heads bowed and your eyes closed for just a moment. It's, a very, it's not somber in here, but it is real. I feel the Lord's presence. Do you today? I believe God's doing things in your heart. I honestly do. I believe that for some here under the sound of my voice, I believe he's working in you to help you to see things that were present all along, but you hadn't seen them before. Some of you have come to our church and you're on a new journey. It's an entirely new journey for you. And you're being stretched and pulled and exposed to things that you didn't even know were happening in the church. I pray for you today. I pray that God is working in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. I pray the Lord helps you to see some of the things that I see and others in this room see. I also pray with the same faith that we won't belittle you uh, while you're on your journey. And maybe your journey, maybe you're not as fast up to where we think you should be. Or maybe you're not giving at the level that we thought. I pray, oh God, in the name of Jesus, that we won't criticize or condemn or judge you. But also, God forbid that we don't encourage you. That we don't encourage you to challenge yourself. To see the divine call that's on your life to be a giver. I want you to hear that right there, that statement. That may be the most important thing that you hear today. There is a divine call on your life to be a giver. Did y'all hear that? Let the Holy Spirit quicken that in your heart. Yes, 
God has called all of us to give. Every one of us to participate in giving at some level. Because I remember the writing of the apostles as they quoted the Lord Jesus. For it is more blessed to give than it is even to receive. So Father, my prayer is for every person that God, you you would start a revival through giving right here at First Assembly. That we would be shocked and amazed at the revelation of your goodness on this church family as men and women move into a new season of life. That we do more than we have ever done before because more people have, Father God, have connected with us and our hearts are united together. And as Paul said, there's an equality. Everybody's doing something. Everybody's doing something. I want to ask your heads to be bowed and your eyes closed for just a moment. Now, the church is still kind of separate. I don't have a worship team. We're not doing that today. We're not, this, is, this is just about me connecting with you. This is in prayer. And as a matter of fact, I'm not even going, my eyes are closed. So I'm, going to, I'm not even going to look up. But I'm going to give you an opportunity to do something today. I want to ask you to join your faith with mine on this. And this may be the most critical part of you responding real quickly. If you've been somebody that just has been reluctant in your giving, and you're just, you're just saying, oh, I, I feel the Lord, but I just I get trapped, I get caught. I want nobody looking around. This is just, and that's including me. I am not looking. My eyes are closed. If I take another step, I'd probably fall off the platform. My eyes are closed. But I want you to have the courage. Here's that verse. God gives seed to the sower. So you've got something. You've got resources. But do you see it as bread or seed? If you're ever going to be a giver, you've got to see what first comes into your hand as seed. There's always got to be something in whatever God blesses you with as seed. It cannot all be consumed on your need. It has to be, a portion of it has to be seed. God gives seed to the sower. So if that's you, no one looking around, this is between you and God. You take the courage, and I'll pray with you. You just quickly slip your hand up. Now, that's weird that you say, Pastor, you're not even looking. No, I'm not. It's not about me knowing. It's about just you taking a step of faith saying, God, help me to see my resources, that inside the resources that God has given me, there is seed. There is seed. I want you to know, I believe that with all my heart. There is seed. But it takes courage. It takes a realignment. It takes purposing in your heart. So, Father, I pray this closing prayer. Y'all ready? You put your hand back down. Nobody's looking around. We're praying a closing prayer. Would y'all pray this with me today? Just right now, we're praying one for the other. God, first of all, I pray for every man or woman, young or old alike, that had the courage to raise their hand. It was very private, God. It's between you and them. I know not their heart. I know not their situation, but you do. Father, in every person that had the courage to raise their hand, the honesty, the accountability to say, God, give me the grace to see what I have, a portion of it, a seed. I pray for them, God. Open their eyes. Let them see what we see. Let them read scriptures entirely different again, God. And let them have the courage to take that step of faith, to move into this new arena. Like Paul said, you do so well in faith, utterance, your love for the church, your love for people, but in this grace also, in this grace also, in this opportunity, God, give them the courage to take the next step.
to be able to have seed to sow and not just to eat. Lord, I thank you for this message. And now for all of us, I pray, God, the days, the weeks ahead, the encouragement that JoJo's going to give us, God, through our faith promise cards, whatever we can do to come alongside the others that are taking the gospel, I pray, Father God, for a new spirit of faith and giving at First Assembly unlike anything we have seen in recent memory, God. Let this be a time of great joy. Let there be joy in our hearts as we give, and let there be great joy in the hearts and lives of those who receive. Father, I pray, Lord, that you look down from above, that you open the windows of heaven and you pour out blessings that cannot be contained. Let the favor of an omnipotent God be seen and known, God, amongst your people, God. Father, we may go forth a weeping, bearing precious seed, but let us come again rejoicing, bringing our sheaves with us, bringing in the harvest of the goodness and the abundance of an omnipotent God. So, Father, I love you today. I've done my part. I've charged our church family. I bless each one. Thank you for bringing us to this house. And in the words of the apostle, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. In Jesus' name, and all God's children said, amen and amen. Listen, if you chose, like Joe said, we don't, you don't have to, but if you choose to do, leave this today. You put it in a basket out there, put it face down. It's private between you. You could give it to Sister Sherry or Pastor Jojo or Jace, one of these two handsome guys, and you keep the small card. But if not, we're going to be talking about it for the next couple of weeks. We want everybody to have an